With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We live here on a Wednesday night. Uh, we got um, some we got some drinks this time. We got some uh, some fun stuff to talk about, especially for Monday night. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. Drinks this time, yes. Uh, proudly from Monday night, holding the VT Food and Science Technology koozie. We picked there up go. there. Swag. Um, swag, all sorts of swag from Monday night, man. Swag. Uh, and we, we're going to get that into that on the back half because there's so much to unload there. We'd forget about a lot of other stuff if we didn't. Um, I had a super long day, Brian. <laughs> I texted Tell me Brian, about it, man. Tell me about, then what you got. about 8.30 this morning. Dude, I'm pretty much going to be in meetings all day, and I was. And, you know, have some family in from out of town and – Man, we did some steaks, fajitas on the grill tonight, homemade peach ice cream. I prefer banana. I lost peach the ice cream. Peach oh man! So that, that, that's I'm, some Halifax shit right there. Homemade peach it ice is. cream. Yeah, and I, I think officially, mom bought us a ice cream maker because she okay. forgot hers, and she just bought one. It's like it's y'all's. I think. I hope at least. It'll be nice just to make ice cream occasionally. I love when parents do that. You don't have this. I need I need this. I'm gonna buy it and you can keep it. Exactly. It's a great thing. But after all that, after my crazy day, and I know you've been busy too, I completely missed the Jim Phillips ACC press conference. So big guy, the floor is yours to inform me of what the hell happened. Uh well, uh Jim Phillips got up there and he kind of sang kumbaya. For a little bit, um, he was trying to talk about the all the neighborhoods should be able to have success, and uh, we, we should all do what's right for the kids and keep the kids in mind. And you know, <laughs> oh god, it, it, it was kind of like there there was some decent points in there, but it was mostly kind of fluff and bullshit. Um, I mean, I think the 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 overarching theme is that you know he is keeping options open, whatever that means. Uh, hopefully, that means adding members and renegotiating the the media rights uh, in terms of the 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 number. 
Okay. Uh, we need to be closer to that 40 mil versus that lower end of the 30s. Um, that That's what needs to happen. I, I don't know if that's going to be what ultimately comes through with this. Um, but I feel like this was a, a talk that if it was had five years ago, it might have landed better. But it's it's one of those things where here's here's how things it's the should be versus the reality, right? So right now he's saying this is how things should be, but but in reality they're not. So if you're not addressing reality, it doesn't really matter how things should be. Uh, I need someone that's that's having practical solutions, not pie in the sky dreams of what this thing should be. I think we're this beyond that at this point. This ain't college football ain't utopia anymore. Is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that it, ship has sailed. It, I mean, it's it, gone. You know, we're, we're talking about it, it being driven by money, and, and and that's not a good thing. It's been driven by money for over a decade. Really, if we're talking about it for real, started thirty years ago, and it's 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 been a rocket ship the last decade. Thirty, yep, and 30, it, it's it's not slowing down. No, it's and, not. And if, and if you and if you think it's slowing down, you're being naive. You're being super naive. Well, thank you for that. So it sounds like I didn't miss much, but an overarching theme of either he's playing nice or he has no clue. And I hope it's the first, not the second, for the Hokies' sake. I'm hoping he's saying things publicly, but but doing what needs to be done on the back end. We hope he's saying the nice stuff publicly and just getting and pulling out all the way. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he learned something from the Big Ten last year and that they said the right shit, but then in the meantime they were negotiating – getting two schools from the Pac-12 from the Alliance uh, to, to join their conference. So. They pulled they pulled the knives and just started sticking people left and right. Well, Brian, let's talk. We, we were talking about this real quick. Can or the Big Ten or the Big Tw- Yeah, the Big Ten and the SEC. Again, long day for me. So if I stumble tonight, y'all, it is what it is. The only way that the ACC can get out of the grants of right deal is to have Eight teams, correct? Yep. Eight, not seven. Eight a teams. Full, a full majority, yeah. Basically, leave the conference. Are there eight teams that are attractive enough to the Big Ten and the SEC where they would do that? I think combined, yes. Um, but I don't – There's the problem is there's a lot of coordination that will have to, have to happen because you would have to essentially have the SEC and Big Ten colluding to – have all these schools pull out of the ACC at the same time. Well, I don't think the Fed would like that. That's that's some that, uh, that does that does sound, you know. <laughs> I, I I don't think that's above board, but I mean a lot of stuff that goes down isn't above board. Hell yeah. Um whether whether it's the uh you know basically f- legal insider trading that pretty much every congressman does or any other you know stuff that goes down like that. So I mean, I could see it happening. I don't know if it will happen. Um, okay. Right now, the the grant of rights is the biggest firewall that the ACC has. And it's a pretty good one as long as they don't have eight teams that are willing to pull out at one time. Yep. Um, and, I mean, when you look at it, there are potentially eight that could go if the Big Ten and SEC tried to move all at one time. And yep. if they don't do that, then it's going to be piecemeal. And 
it, it won't be enough to to get out of granted rights. In which case, I don't think the ACC d- dissolves until the end of uh, that period. Well, I don't think but, it's the end of the period. Yeah. I don't think it's the end of the period. I don't, but I don't think it's fourteen years away because fourteen years. I don't think they. I don't think they pull out any earlier than two or three years ahead of that, though. Yeah. So I mean, we're we're talking. That's a decade from now. So yes, because because if 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 we're talking about that, because with grant of rights, it's essentially saying I'm picking up this conference. I'm already pay the new conference or the school is already going to pay the the, the, the departure pay. fee, which is on top million. of that. You cannot broadcast the rights for that th- th- those games unless you pay get, us. Unless you pay us, yeah. So. That that's the big sticking point is that what's the point of moving early, especially earlier than one or two years, unless you're willing to swallow that. And what's the point of the SEC or the Big Ten to even pull the trigger on that? They could just say we're the elite conferences right now, right? We have 16 teams. We're guaranteeing our way into the playoff. We're probably going to create our own playoff. What's what's the reasoning for us to go after someone and basically hand if they go after four teams apiece and basically hand a conference what probably four hundred million dollars a year, give or take? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. I I think in the in the interest of everybody, it would be better if we had four conferences when all was said and done instead of two. But if we're heading can't. towards two, the thing that's, I'd say that there, there's, you know, the firewalls protecting the ACC, but in some ways it could hurt the ACC because if the SEC decides it wants to start expanding more and now market wise, it, it's going to look at the bigger markets. It wants the North Carolina market. It wants the Virginia market, True. but there's also some markets out West in the, the, the middle of the country that are in Big 12 and Pac-12 territory that they might target in the meantime, what does that mean for the ACC long-term? Do more schools get left out long-term because the SEC expands into you know, these other markets in the meantime because they have less less of a firewall so they can actually go and, and poach them a little bit sooner? Well, the Midwest is tough, though. The mid, to me, the Midwest is dead to the SEC and the Big Ten. The two one or two teams notwithstanding, yeah. One team, two teams, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um if you're Jim Phillips right now, we already said it. To me, he has to go vicious. And obviously, does geography matter anymore? No. No. You've got to go vicious. You've got to look at market and you've got to look at good athletic departments. And you know. To me, you just go in the northeast corridor of the country. You look at Oregon, you look at UW, you look at Stanford. If Cal wants to come, maybe. Right there, you've got the number nine TV market, the number seven TV market, and the number 20 TV market. Immediately more eyes. If the ACC also thinks about it, and this is also something you can push to ESPN and others where you can renegotiate your contracts, if you go get those teams, you're almost guaranteed a 930 slot. So there is an extra football game on that you're going to be able to pull probably where no other conference can. And yep. if you have extra games, what does that mean, Brian? More, More money. money. 
no paper, and especially if you've got it in those markets that are number, you know, pretty big markets and actually pretty well-known, well-respected teams. So, you know, to me, he's just got to go scorch the earth, burn it, get what you can. Notre Dame's a pipe dream because I think Notre Dame's going to get some. I think CBS is, after losing the SEC deal, my opinion is CBS is going to throw an asinine number at Notre Dame. Yeah, and, I don't think they get that, what, what was it, 70, 75 million that they were talking about, but I think they get somewhere in the same ballpark with uh, with the big, with the SEC, and maybe even above that, depending on you know you know where they end up uh, landing there. I mean, they're going to get a lot of money. Yeah, they're they're at least going to land somewhere right around fifty, probably higher, because CBS is going to be starved for college football on Saturday, so they're going to probably get NBC in a price war. And if you get them in a price war, I'm going to say. Well, what did we say the deal was right now? It was 22, 20, 24, 24, 24. So I'd say triple. I think it could be triple. I think it's at least going to double up, uh, you know, I, and, and they've got, they've got the bargaining power right now because they've got the leverage. All the, all the numbers are going up and they've got the leverage and they, they are a draw in and of themselves. They are. Uh, unlike so many, I mean, there's only a handful of teams out there that are the television draw that Notre Dame is, and that's despite, I mean, they they've had you know good good runs here, but they haven't really had an elite squad here in a while. So it's not like Bama that's perennially in the national championship discussion. True, although they've been to the playoff twice in five years, so they have, they have, but. I get I get your drift on that. I get your drift yeah. on that. So I don't think that domino is going to fall because I think somebody's going to pay out their ass for it. And it's probably going to be worth it in the long run for them. So there that is. We're, we've been on for 15 minutes and we haven't even talked Hokies yet. So let's let's jump to some Hokie stuff here. And, Brian, let's start. We uh, Some staff updates were made back about – six days ago and um some interesting moves Let, let's start with uh jerome gavea winslow moving from player personnel into a analyst role um joining brian chris joining xavier joining jeff carpenter um doing carrie webb along with um one more person we're going to talk about here i don't see this as a shock no jgw was coaching down at a smaller school he obviously has aspirations to coach at a high level. To me, the player personnel is his springboard. Yeah, that was that was getting his foot in the door at his alma mater. This is him getting closer to an on-field role. Um, you know, you can say whether you consider it a you know a, a bump up in in terms of role that that's questionable depending on where you are and what your aspirations are. But if his aspirations are to be an on-field coach, then this is definitely a a jump for him, a move up. Uh, the ladder for him. So good for him. Good for him. Um, you know, he, he got some, he always got some aligned grief back in the day, but he was a solid player. Um, not the most physically gifted, but definitely a good football player. And then Brian, there was one more addition to the analyst staff, Jan Johnson, who played under Pratt Penn state team captain back in 2019, spent a year on a practice squad down at the Titans. Also honorable mention, all American, 
and some yep. all American, all honorable mention Big Ten honors from. And the we coach. got a little story story on him <laughs> at the. Uh, yes, we did. At, yes, at, we at did. Night, so yeah. we'll talk about that later with uh, Jan Johnson talking about uh, Joe Rudolph. But that gives us six now. So you've got. We already mentioned Chris, Xavier, Jeff, Jan, Carrie, and JDW. Obviously, a hell of a lot bigger than last year. I mean, especially on the analyst side. Oh yes, significantly bigger on the analyst we're, side. We're, we're plus one or two on the, uh, the 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 recruiting staff side, player personnel side, but we're we're in the big plus territory on the analyst side. And what that's going to do, a it's it's you always keep saying it, Brian. We're out of mom and pops. We're getting, we're not you know massive brain yet, but when you have six, when you have really. Probably one guy that's probably going to go back and forth. I'm assuming that's probably going to be Chris. It's probably going to go yep. back and forth, and Webb's going to be your special teams analyst. What it does, and Brian, you've mentioned it before, coaches aren't going to have to spend as much time in the film room. Less time in the film room. you got guys that you can trust that's looking at stuff like that. They're giving you notes. They're saying, all right, here's here's where this player needs to work on um next practice um here's what this player needs to work on next practice here's here's what this upcoming uh opponent does well here's here's what they don't do well uh and then they can explain how that is going to help you in on the field and that these are guys that you trust with this type of role um versus having just like you know an intern doing stuff like that and then you have to go back and all right, well, he made these notes, but I've got to still analyze what what was on the tape and then apply that. These are guys you can trust in that type of stuff to 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 analyze the the tape itself and and give you a a boost going into a a game prep week or something like that going into the season. So, that's big. More eyes on tapes means more catches, more fixing of issues. I, that's the one part I like about it is when when you have a rough game, having that many analysts, the coaches don't have to be there. The coaches can trust them to figure out what's wrong. They can get on the field and actually coach correctly, correcting those errors. So love it. Hopefully next year we get eight, maybe more. I, yeah, I think- we definitely need to keep keep moving forward. I think you know right. this this is this is a big jump for for where we were, but we're still probably just middle of the pack in terms of the, the ACC overall yep. in terms of the number of roles here. So we definitely need to get in at least in that upper third, if not in the top two or three. Yeah. One other real quick note concerning um, some additional players. We've got a list here. We're going to go through uh, really cool to see a guy like AJ Hampton um, who grew up in Roanoke, went to Lord Bada Tot, um, played down at um, Emory and Henry played at Mountain Union has spent some time at Florida State. Really cool to see he got a GA position here um, to further his career. So awesome for that young man. And then, Brian, Kerry Lynn Wolford. We have a new role of director of player engagement. Um, So we're engaging the players? Um, I mean, it's great we got another new role, which is always awesome. Um, But is this – is this just keeping the kids focused on grades, keeping the kids focused on outside stuff? Um, I'm going to be interested to hear more about this role 
um, because she had done some athletic advising pre this. Yeah. Um, so I'm very interested how this role shapes up. If it's one of those goodwill roles or if it's something different. Yeah. I mean, she did a lot on, on the, uh, the support staff, support services, um, student athlete support services team before that. Um, yeah, I think what she was in director of football, oper- assistant director of football operations before getting this role. So, um, yeah, I don't know what this is going to look like on paper. Um, or in practice, but I like that we're specializing yes, more on the off-field staff, whether it's recruiting or, or other uh, forms of player engagement off, off the field. Yeah, she was a assistant director of the SAASS. Um, ah. So, yeah. Um, also a tech alum, got her degree back in 2017, so good for her. Um. Obviously, with Gavea Winslow joining the analyst staff, uh, Hokies were able to hire another player personnel. His name is Alex Jones. Um, where do you think he potentially served his capacity in a role similar? You know, I don't know, man. It's either Penn State, Marshall, or somewhere like that. He actually did some work like this back in Marshall in 2019. Okay, um, so he's a, one of the Villagrana. He's one of the guys. There we go. Exactly. Uh, Shout out again, Mike again, I think what's what's more important about this, you know, obviously he has a background and relationship there, is Gavail Winslow moved on, they immediately backfilled his role. That role isn't empty. Where in the past, what have we seen? We've seen somebody leave a role, the role never gets filled. Yeah. That is what I like seeing on this. Yeah, somebody would move up or somebody would move on, and then a role would sit unoccupied at least in terms of official announcement for, you know, months at a time. Yeah. Um, even if somebody was doing it formally or informally in the, in the interim, uh, we wouldn't really actually have any sort of noted uh, press release on this for, for months and months at a time. And now we're getting it, you know, right, right shortly after, you know, things are going down on the, on the front end there. So that's, that's a good thing. They're definitely more, consistent with the press releases, more consistent with communication uh, of, of how the staff off the field is organized and operating. Very true. And then obviously they added one more, uh, let's see, Rob Branch, look, first year and had done some time at West Virginia State. So obviously a smaller school, played at JMU. But again, we, we take a look at that player personnel room and do we lose? I'm trying to think. Did we lose somebody a few months ago, or is this an additional position to that? That's a good question. Uh, let me see. We've got Mike, we've got Rob, Alex, and Lino. So, did that game one? Did that used to be three? I th- yeah, it used to be three. I think it's four now. Okay. If if somebody out there knows, please let us know because I swear this was less than it was a few months ago. I swear, I just, you know, I need to keep an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> and delete. And then where, where, where's John Earl when we need him? All right, one more. Serena Rodriguez, um, an assistant of creative media. And obviously, I'm, I'm going to just say this. Uh, she um, She's going to be working with Zach Lance. Zach Lance has done a hell of a job with the creative media stuff. I mean, yep. get getting that man more help is going to make the product look even better. 
Um, she did some time as a graphic designer out at University of Colorado, um, which is really cool. And she was a student there. And she did. She was a recruiting assistant intern. So obviously, Serena's got her foot in the door of football. But I just love seeing Zach's team grow because it's. I feel like that department in the last eighteen months has really just like just went through the roof of how things look visually, how the videos are cut. It's awesome to see that. Yeah, and they and I really like the the graphics that they have pivoted to for the twenty three class and. A lot of the other things they're doing as well, because I feel like that it kind of gotten stale. Um, there was a lot of like the 2020 20, 20 stuff that kind of bled over into 2021 and 2022. Yeah. And it kind of got, got same-ish. And I feel like this is kind of, I think the more hands on deck has made the creative side of it a lot easier because when you, when you can, when you have more hands, you can more easily implement different ideas without having to, you know, just plug and play to, to get, to get the job done. So. Absolutely. So again, the support staff growing significantly in the last few years, something we knew that had to happen. So that's awesome to see. All right, Brian, let's turn to the diamond real quick and have a quick look. Five Hokies get drafted four in the first five rounds. Gavin Cross, the diamond going number nine to the Royals. Um, I mean, all year he's a top 10 pick. He's a top 10 pick. It, it holds true. Um, Shovel goes 68 to the twins. Bittison fourth round to the Dodgers. Kate Hunter to the Reds. And then Graham Farvid. I just butchered that name. I know. Sorry, Graham. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you just admit your mistakes and you move on. There we go. Awesome to see that. Not only that a couple of those, really the first four guys are really going to get paid a significant amount. And Gavin and Tanner are going to get a boat ton of money. No one's slot. I know Gavin's slot's like five and a half. I want to say Tanner's just somewhere around two. Um, likely not going to get the full pay, but going to get a lot of money. So great for them financially. But just in general for the program, you sit here – and just two years ago, team didn't even make the ACC tournament. They didn't make it. This year, one of the best teams in the country. And this is one of those things that can get you rolling, right? We have yeah. great season and guys are getting drafted. It's an easy sell. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is that this is going to be a good sell in the recruiting trails. Like, hey, you come here, you know, you're going to get a bump in your draft stock by coming here and spending time as a Hokie. Um, and, and with baseball, I think that that's such a big, a big thing with, you know, a lot of these kids getting, you know, some of them getting, you know, drafted out of high school and making the decision, okay, do I go take the scholarship offer that I have? Do I go ahead and try to give it a run in the minors? Hey, you come here, you spend two, three years here, you know, you, you, you're going to set yourself up for a better spot down the road. Yeah. And, and and nowadays in college baseball, because of the draft only going to 20 rounds, it is significantly helping keep players committed to their scholarship. So how you recruit now, it's even more important because, you know, roughly only about 600 guys are getting drafted. A lot of them, you know, probably more than half of them 
maybe 60% are college guys because they've already got the proven record versus the potential in high school guys, um, yep. you know, which is really cool. So, again, that program building, even though it's a non-revenue sport, it's, again, what do we always say, Brian? It's one of those sports like wrestling, probably getting close, like women's basketball, where it pays for itself more money back to football. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's some prestige in that, too. I mean, this is, you know, College World Series, um, conference playoffs. I mean, th- a lot of these, th- th- those championships get a lot of airtime. So it's not like, you know, a lot of the sports that you might see on a, you know, random weekday on the ACC network. Um, you know, th- these are getting some, some, some primetime spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, on ESPN, on ESPN two, on the ACC network. So, um, yeah, it's it's important to to grow the sport and the in to grow your your department in those sports as well that that are getting that airtime. Okay. All right, Brian. This is going to be a little segment this week. What really grinds Brian's gears? You have the floor, sir. Okay, so. You know, we we trash the NCAA pretty regularly on this show. Um, that's not a secret to anybody that's listening. But uh, th- this is this is the thing that bothers me the most about the NCAA. So you know, we're we're in a situation where you got mass realignment, you got nil a- nil stuff going on, all crazy. The NCAA, you know, washes their hands. Uh, but the, uh, the the rules committee found it in their in their time to you know as they're looking at the game and trying to figure out how to make the game better that there was something that that just was taking away from the quality of the game quality of baseball and baseball. that is celebratory props on the field uh so that means hammer time potentially is no more and it's just fucking stupid. It's stu- it's stupid. There's no other way to say it. It's st- why are, why is this moron. a thing we're focusing on? Say it, moron. You're a moron. <laughs> what are we doing? I mean, we we got we got all of this stuff that we're that, that, that's going on that you should be you know that you are a governing body that you should be focused on. And I'm not saying you can't focus on multiple things at one time. I get that. Yes. But when you're not handling the big stuff, I can't take this small shit seriously. Nope. They should just, you know what, just bring the hammer out. What are they going to do? I mean, seriously, what are they going to do? They have no spine. They have no backbone. I mean, at this point, call their bluff. They, I mean, they, they really have no, no authority anymore. What are you going to do? All right, Brian, let's turn it over to recruiting. Uh, had a commit land on Monday, right yep. before we were heading over to Hardywood, an RVA product out of collegiate school. Christian Williams, 6'2", 170. 247 has him as a 87 three-star, the number 14 player in the state at the moment. Tech currently sits 36 in both composite and overall. And, you know, just kind of having a look right now, this is our highest commit to date uh, from the state of Virginia. 
Brian, I know you had a little time to peek at him. What are we seeing from this? Again, athlete. A lot more athletes this year being recruited. Yeah, he's probably going to be a wide receiver for us more than likely. Um, just looking at the tape. Um, you know, pretty good route runner. Um, not elite speed, but but good enough. I really like that we are targeting a lot of lot more guys that are you know that six one and above um, mm-hmm. height. We get get a little bit more range across the board, and uh, I like his hands. He has pretty good hands. He's shown the ability to go up and get a ball and high point it. Um, good job of catching over the middle. Not 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 afraid to catch over the middle, even at only seventy. So uh, I, I like it. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a blow your skirt up uh, get, but. We could get it's, it, it's it's one of those things that's, that's keeping the train moving. Yep, keeps the train moving. Good potential. Two four seven thinks a lot more of him than the rest of the uh, recruiting service goes because he's down at an eighty five seven, like a point eight five seven. So you kind of start doing the math. There's somebody who's out here who's had him at like an eighty three, and you know, I I think just from hearing you, he's not quite that low. He's not closer to a two star than he is a potential high three. And Brian, you just mentioned it. There are only two guys in this thing of 16 that are under six foot tall. And that's Thomas Williams, uh, the athlete down out of South Carolina, and Taki Heath out of Highland Springs. Everybody else, you know, Traylon Mitchell, we got out of Southern Nash, 6'2. Devorian Copeland out of Athematics, 6'4. You know, Dylan Whitakey down in Buford, 6'1. Marcel, 6'. I mean, I, that is a good thing to see. And I also love seeing athlete because every time I see athlete, it's usually you get labeled that when you do multiple things on a field, right? You're probably playing wide out or running back or quarterback, but you're doing something defensively. And we've already seen in the early part of prize tenure, he's not afraid to just flip somebody yep. and say, you will be a better corner than you will a wide receiver or you'll be a better safety than you will be a corner. And well, getting a- athletes with the lowercase a is always a good thing. So, you know, in this case, they've got an uppercase a, um, you get to, you get to find where they fit in your system. And when, with a roster like ours, that has a lot of holes in different places, getting guys with some of that flexibility uh, and, and fluidity of position is not a bad thing. Not at all. All right, let's flip it to basketball recruiting. Brandon Rick Steiner commits. That name had been popping up a lot. People had been, going, yeah. <laughs> the 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 son uh, for 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 us kids of the nineties and two thousands, the son of Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner, the nephew of the dog face girl Rick Steiner, who and. and Say what you want to say about pro wrestling. Those two guys were legit All-Americans at Michigan. They were like legit football players. They were legit badasses. They were legit athletes. Yep. They just went into an entertainment industry. And I, know, I always love the Steiner brothers. But 6'1 point guard, 185 pounds, a top 10 player in Georgia, rated three-star. But from everything you're reading, this kid went from like nobody knew his name to being on everybody's radar picking up a ton of commits like LSU offered 
Miami, Notre Dame, Xavier, you know, Georgia Tech, Kansas State, like some legit solid, you know, programs are offering him. And, you know, the Hokies get him with Mike Young. So, you know, again, I've said it with this class. I mean, it's, it's it holds true for basketball. Some of this is still COVID carryover and just not having a lot of tape and guys being under-recruited. And you're seeing a lot of big push at the at the last minute once the, these guys start getting on other teams' radars. Um, this is what happened here. I mean, Rex Hunter is essentially Padula 2.0, but you know you didn't you didn't get a, any what sophomore film. You probably only got you know partial junior film. Um. So. Yeah. So again, it it helps and probably helps. The relationship was built early with him. Uh, trying to see here real quick. Let me see if we've got the official offer date. Ah, nope, they don't have that on here, but could probably go back through this timeline and figure it out. But, again, relationship, right? Yep. It, it, it's, it's every sport. And if you can get the relationships, a guy like this who's under the radar, who blows up, you might have a chance of pulling it off. So, awesome to see that. All right. One more piece, Brian, here. The Hokey Hall of Fame class of 2022 is announced. I want to shout out these three folks before we get to the four football players. Um, the first, um, Dortia Habazin, a three-time All-American, the second woman ever to win a national championship at Virginia Tech. Four, uh, blah, blah, four AC titles of her career, three in hammer throw, one in weight throw. Um, Marcel Lemnecki, um, two national championships, three appearances in the Olympics, uh, third Hokie to win multiple NCAA titles in 2012 uh, in, in his weight throw championship. And then Sarah Smith, six-time ACC champion, All-American in 07 as a swimming and diving scholar athlete. So first of all, shout out to those Hokies who clearly, you know, apparently, you know, we kind of look at this and we think about, you see 2007 and that's, you know, where we're building to get here. But let's talk about the guys that we all know. And I want to start with Mike Gentry. Remember gentrified? Remember hearing that back in the day you hear about guys would go to tech and get gentrified. Mike was a, for his time was a revolutionary strength and conditioning coach. Yep. And for all of us who are a certain age, when you started hearing about Gentry and what he did to some of the guys, he made a lot of those teams what they were with his programs. When you talk about the the development side of Virginia Tech and turning the two and three stars into All-Americans and NFL draft picks, it started with Mike Gentry. Damn right it did. Uh, Mike's still working. I think he's down at Emory and Henry now, but awesome to see him going to the Hall of Fame. All right, the next one, probably if you're a football fan of any ilk, regardless of tech, you know, you know, fandom or not, Bruce Arians goes in, quarterback in the 1970s, coached a ton. I mean, came back, coached at tech, I think, for one year. Then 
obviously in the NFL, coached your beloved Colts there for a while, Brian. I know P- Pittsburgh for a, a long spell there as OC. Obviously, uh, Tampa ha- have a couple stops here recently um, that, that that have had some success. So. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, I love, you know, say what you will. Some people will say, well, this is because he won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Smart universities, if somebody wins a significant something in their life, even if they were not the best player on the field, you put them in the Hall of Fame. I don't give a damn. Yeah, and, I mean, if we're being honest, though, I mean, a lot of the the numbers that he held when he from his, from his time mm-hmm. stood up through Michael Vick, so. A lot of those didn't fall until Vic got around there. So, you know, there's something to be said. I know it was a different era. Um, you know, they don't necessarily stand out in the modern era, but you know, there 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 was something to be said for what he did in his time. It's not just a um, you know career achievement award that that's getting passed out here, but it definitely helps that he won. He turned around and won a Super Bowl as a coach in the NFL. Yeah. All right, Brian. You, you, a few minutes ago, you mentioned turning a two, turning a two-star into a uh, All-American, into a NFL draft pick. Essentially, that's what Mike Gentry did to Cam Chancellor. Cam yep. Chancellor was a two-star with three offers, quarterback down, and he comes to Virginia Tech. He plays corner. He plays rover. He plays free. You know, two-time ACC champion. Super Bowl champion, all pro. When he hits you, you knew it. And I mean, one of those guys, you know, in the in the late two thousands, man, you 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 kind of you just kind of knew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, um, you know, when when you talk about the personality of DBU, you know, there are other guys that had, you know, physical traits that stood out, but. Cam was the guy that let his hitting do the talking, let let his energy that he brought to the proceedings do the talking. And it's nice to see him get in there, especially, you know, after such a a great NFL career, um, you know, essentially the thunder of the Legion of Boom there. Yes, he was. To To be honestly, he was the most important part of the Legion of Boom. Because if you don't have someone of his size, when he got there, he was like 6'4", 225, who could play like a free safety, hit like a linebacker, could cover tight ends, running backs. That thing doesn't click. Don't get me wrong. Sherman was great. Thomas was great. But if you don't have him to put fear, Legion of Boom never is. All right. Speaking of putting fear, I mean, Vince Hall, man, four-year starter, 44 consecutive games started. I mean, him and the DB still are, to me, the prototypical Mike and backer in the system. Yep. And even the system we have now. If you if, if you told Brent Pry he could find an Xavier and a Vince in next year's class, he'd take them in a heartbeat. Something more impressive he did to me, you don't see this happen, when he won the Dudley in 06. Best, state ball, yep. best D1 player in the state of Virginia. He was a – you don't see defensive guys get that, even guys who gets a ton of tackles. Unless unless they're on, like, special teams and they're running back, punt, and kick returns. Exactly. That's that's usually the only way you see that happen. Exactly. I mean, but, 
you know, this this was the years he played were the years we were we were at games every year. We were yep. constantly in front of our TV. We were at multiple games every year. We were multiple we were games watching. Every. We were watching multiple games together at home, uh, yep. in the dorm room, dorm rooms, in the apartment. Apartments. <laughs> we were wondering why. Why did we start doing this at twelve today? Ah, oh, you know why not? And you know, again, it's just one of those things. I'm glad he got his due, but you go through. There's been just a handful of folks to win the Dudley Awards that are defensive players and the names, you know, add up. So I'm really glad to see they put Vince Hall in the hall of fame. He is well-deserved of it, man. Absolutely. All right, Brian, before we start talking about what went down Monday night, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right. So Monday was the hokey tailgate at Hardywood here in the RBA. Me and Brian talked a couple times, say, hey, let's try to, you know, get out there about 20 to 5, quarter to 5. Yeah. We thought we were going to beat the traffic. (laughs) Or did we beat the traffic? Scratch that. Scratch that. Oh, yeah. We we got there. We were – they were parking across the street, and we were about two-thirds of the way down that lot when we got there. So, uh, Hokies were out in full force. Um I don't know where the official numbers are, but I know they were north of a thousand. I think they were close to fifteen hundred. Um, so that's a damn good showing for uh, for Hokie Nation out here in the RVA. Um, I'll ask you uh, first impressions of of the event. Well, the first impression of the event, just walking after we parked and we're walking up, they had shuttles, so you did not have to walk completely from the parking lot. But just walking up, it, it was, I told Brian, it, it brought me back. It felt like walking up from Price's Fort when we were younger and we used to tailgate down there and going up to the stadium. You just had this feel. It's an it's a different energy going on in Hokie Nation right now with everything that's been done since November of last year. You know, you, you, there's buzz in the air. There's, you know, there's just this feeling that things might get back to the way it was. And that's that was my feeling going in. And when you just saw how many folks were there, and I mean, we, you know, just people seem excited. And I know you can say every year with football season, people are going to be excited, but it's just it's just different this year than it has been over the last really last two three years. Yeah, I think there's some there's some fire back in the program. I think there's enthusiasm, and I think there's you know it's 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 mixed with cautious optimism. Uh, I, I think there's not very many people that think we're going to have a very good team this year. I think there's some some people that think we'll we'll win eight games. Maybe yeah. most most people are more in the you know, five to seven range. Yeah. We're like make a bowl, you know, maybe may, maybe get one extra one in there, mm-hmm. um, and, and see what happens. And I think that that's that's realistic considering our schedule and considering you know some of the pickups we had in the off season in the portal. And some of the some of the freshmen that are gonna be coming up and stepping up this year, so it, it's gonna be interesting. But th- there is a buzz that I haven't seen. 
So I'll say this. I went to Hardywood um, for the North Richmond Carolina. Club North Carolina game. So yeah. last year, first game of the season, like there was enthusiasm for it just because it was like, all right, everybody's out kind of for the first time in a long time yeah. for a football-related event. But there was not a lot of uh, excitement in terms of what was going to happen. A lot of people were very, very nervous about that game. Obviously, it went our way. We played um, played a good game, kept it clean, and then yeah. that really kind of helped, helped, uh, helped carry the day. Um, but there's a different type of enthusiasm there. There isn't as much holding our breath that, you know, yeah. Disaster is around the corner. Absolutely. And that's the feel you got there. You, you, again, it's the renewed sense of hope. It's like a spring. Yeah. The, the nation is reviewed, renewed. And when, you know, when here in pride talk, which we'll talk about just in a couple minutes, you, you, you'll, you'll understand why, but let's talk real quick. We got to talk to Bud Foster for a couple minutes, and we talked about Boundary Corner. We are not going to mention what he said because we want to have Bud on the show one day. Um, but let's just say it was very interesting as we started talking about players. Bud was in is in full retirement mode. I am now I'm we're thirty years, thirty five years from retirement. The way everything's going nowadays, but I, I hope I'm like Bud and living my best life like he was on. Monday night. My, my man was living his best life. He had folks bringing him drinks. He was in uh had had the had the linen pants and the uh like Hawaiian shirt, VT shirt on. Like he was he was full lounging. Uh and I was I, I looked at him, I was like, man, if if I'm retiring like that, yes. then I'm doing all right. Because you know, right. I was I I had to get some retirement tips. Like, you know, what's the secret? Because yep. you know, he looks like he's doing it the best. Doing it the best. And, and the coolest part about Bud, if you've ever been to Hardywood, he was literally in this, the middle of it. In the yep. middle of it. You, if you wanted to walk up and have him sign something, I saw him sign a couple things. He'd take your picture. We, we snapped one with him, of course. And, and just being an ambassador out there. Like, you know, sometimes you see folks that, you know, that are famous in public. You're like, I don't want to bother them. It seemed like Bud was there to talk to any Hokie that wanted to talk to him about anything. And it's he, was, he was ready to shake all the hands and kiss all the babies. He yes, was ready he to was. go. And uh, and he was fired up to, to support uh, Pry. He was fired up to sort of support the program. So that That's was good. that was big. That was big, uh, having a guy like that there. that Because you know, he didn't have to come to that one. <laughs> No, he did not. And especially, I mean, you know, when when, when it's what Roanoke, he didn't have to come to RVA. He, he didn't have to come to RVA, especially when you hear Mike Young had the plane, which yep. means three and a half hour drive. Actually, four hour drive because he's down at Clayton Lake, so yeah. a long drive back home. He had a he had a big big drive back. It wasn't a it wasn't an hour flight for him. Nope. All right. Next, you know. Yeah, we had Wit come up and talk. Wit, believe it or not, got actually a good ovation. You know, some people's feelings of Wit might not like him, but you know, talk it's about- it's mixed. I think a lot of people feel good about Wit not talking about football, but when we talk about football, you know, people get tight buttholes about Wit. So yeah, you know, and, fa- and and fair enough. I mean, they they've got reason for that. I mean, there there has been, you know. 
he missteps on that side of things. He, he, well, let's go back. First of all, his first misstep was made when he got here. Instead of addressing football up front, he addressed everything else. People can say what you want to say about the Fuente hire. At that point in time, that was literally a top three hire. Don't, don't get it twisted. The 2020 (laughs) press conference. 2020, yeah, the 2020 is worse than than the, the hire itself. Yes. Um, if you want to point to two things to complain to Wit about, extending Fuente too early, yes, not getting rid of him in 2020. That, those yeah. are the two two biggest things that you can criticize Wit about, aside from not addressing football sooner. But also give him credit when things went sideways in 2018, readjusting his plan and getting the facilities updated. Getting- yeah, he, he, fa- he fast-tracked the stuff that had to be fast-tracked mm-hmm. if you wanted to actually build things out. And he did. Um, again, we're probably about one year behind where we should be with coach, whether that ended up netting us Pry or Shane or Tony Yellett or whoever the hell it would have been. Um, you exactly. Know, we're, we're about one year behind on the rebuild. But aside from that, the other stuff that when he, when he finally got around to it, he's putting he it, it together the way it needs to. And he did um, it obviously, we all want things to happen yesterday because we care about the team. Mm-hmm. It means something to us. And with all this stuff going on with realignment and NIL, we feel like we, we don't want to be one of those teams that's left behind. We don't want to be the leftovers. No, don't want to be the leftovers at all. And he addressed it, you know, talking about how complex of a situation is, realignment is. Said it's something that now is a conversation every day in Merriman. Talked about it as previous stop Cincinnati. It was a conversation every day there. So, obviously, it is up on his mind on the forefront. Um he mentioned honest dialogues with, you know, Commissioner Phillips. I'd like to hear what that honest dialogue is. I hope it's, listen, as soon as we can, we're going to leave unless you do something a lot better. And you need to get some more markets in here that's solidifying our position. You need to get better media rights. Or in three to five years, you're looking at having fewer members of this conference if if, if things line up. Yep, exactly. And if you're not, I mean, at some point we got to light a fire under the commissioner's ass too, because yes. I, I I know he understands the situation, but if he's not getting pressure every day, yes, then and especially from schools like Virginia Tech, it it doesn't matter if Florida State or Clemson or Miami or even you know, UNC or NC. I mean, most of those schools are probably going to find a home in whatever the new world looks like. It's the fringe schools like Virginia Tech, like UVA, um, like Louisville, like Georgia Tech um, that have good markets, but, you know, have some shortcomings in terms of where their programs are at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm that are going to probably need a little bit of a boost. And if we're not pushing for it, then that gives us more potential to get left behind. Exactly. All right. Something else he addressed, talked about why Brent Pry was the guy, you know, made the comments that he was the initial guy, one of the initial guys on his list. But also made the comment that he knew that Virginia Tech had to get back to the defensive mentality, which was, you know, very, very good to hear from him because – you know, you think Virginia Tech, you think defense. Yeah. Um, you know, the the one thing, and this was the ultimate shot right here. Everything is better under Brent. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. 
And I mean, he's not wrong. No, I mean, he's not wrong. But like, that's just he didn't say it. But he basically backhanded the shit out of Justin Quinte with that. Like everything yeah. better than him. I'm sorry. And I'll circle back to the defensive mentality because when we look at the teams that are consistently winning the national championship and consistently going to the college football playoff. True. Yes, they do have some good offenses in there, uh, particularly looking at like Ohio State, you know, Oregon, but all of them play either very good or nasty defense. Yep. Right? I mean, when we we think of Clemson, when we think of Ohio State, when we think of Ugga, when we think of Bama, Bama, obviously, um, and any of the other guys in the conversation, when you think of them, you think of defense first and everything else is secondary. Ohio State might be the only one that's probably in the, you know, more or less balanced in that category. Maybe, but I mean, think how many nasty, I mean, Bosa's young. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm saying they have elite, they have elite offense and, and elite defense. They're just not, they're not stepping it quite up as much as like a Bama on the defensive side. I got you. All right. Well, the other thing he's talked about, everything has to be built right. We agree with that. You Because, again, I think he saw what happened in 16. He did not build it right. He, yeah. w- he, he extended somebody too early. He gave somebody too much leash. So it has to be built right. Um, and, he, and he, 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 he gave him so much leash that he continuously hung himself by not getting right. rid of personnel that were not up to par. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, Brian, you love what he said on the NIL. You love what he said. Us ADs told the NCAA, this NIL shit, it's going to affect recruiting, and they basically brushed them off. The NCAA continues to just stick their thumb up their ass on a lot of this stuff. Um, the NCAA had over a decade to figure this out. They got to a point. They got to a point where – States started passing laws. So once, so they, they, they kicked the can down the road. Now, once states are passing laws, now they are worried about if they put in stuff now, are we opening ourselves up to lawsuits? So now they got scared of the lawsuits. So they're like, well, if we're going to do this, we just got to have open season. And now you got open season. And of course, it's being used to recruit players. What'd you think he was going to do? Exactly. But I just love him. Like, it it sounds like the ADs were out there, like, trying to push this, like, get this done. It's going to affect things. And and they didn't do anything. So put a a reasonable plan out there instead of just saying, Mm. all right, well, this is this is the thing now. Exactly. Figure out how it's going to be implemented within your state legislator, within your conference, within your school, like. It's just a cluster, and it varies from state line to state line in, in terms of what, what teams are doing. It varies from school to school. It varies from conference to conference. And it's not just about the dollars. It's about what is and is not permissible because, again, the NCAA didn't give enough guidance. Exactly. All right. You know, he did talk about got to be modest with NIL. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. But let's talk about he mentioned a few things on game day experiences. He said the Wi-Fi is going to be slightly better in lane. He got he got clapped. Yeah, yeah. I, I need I need a definition of that. Hey, <laughs> uh, one percent would be better than zero or negative. So I, I'll give him that. He also said that the uh, the, the restrooms, the pissers are going to be better. My Rest hope, in peace, troughs. No, no, no. Troughs are fine. I don't have an issue with troughs. 
you really want to make the bathrooms better, put some TVs in there on the wall. So if it's, you know, the third quarter and we're driving or, or, you know, we just punted the ball, I don't worry about running to the pisser and missing the game. Because if you, if as you know, you go through the the, the walkways and go get a beer, so, not a beer, well, beer now, or get some food. There are TVs there. You can see the plays. You don't miss anything, except you know that feeling. I want to be able to go to the bathroom, and if it's a longer line, if I'm in there taking a piss, I can still see what's happening on the field. That's all I ask for. That's there are two I, TVs on each side where the troughs are. Exactly. <laughs> one as you walk in, one above the trough. If you got to go into the stalls where you're just shit out of luck. And one when you exit. And you're shitting, so you're definitely out of luck. You're definitely out of luck. You might as well just... Nobody be- wants to shit in Lane Stadium. Let's be no. <laughs> Nobody wants to shit in any public stadium, if we're being honest about it. Exactly. All right. So, Whit cheered most of the night, and then he got the boo at the end when he said, stick it in, would not be back. Yeah. What the hell? Why, just- why, are, we, why are we still doing this? Why are we... Why? We're still, we're, we're still we're kicking this can down the road. People. Well, you know what? It's your nasty mind if you're thinking that way. I'm trying to put the ball in the end zone, people. What are, where, where are you? Where is your mind going? We are in the red zone, trying to get the ball, <laughs> get the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. Where are your minds at? All you people who complain about it. Where are your minds at? I've heard that since 2003. And all I ever thought about it, oh, we're, 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 we're down here. We're about to get it in. We're about to score. None of this other stuff you guys mentioned. So clearly, those who are against it are pervs. <laughs> Seriously. That's, it, that's it, one way to sell it, Curtis. That's I mean, one hey, way to sell hey, it. you know, <laughs> it means we're in the red zone. That's what it means. To <laughs> it means we're about to stick it in. To the red zone. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Brent Pry and him up on stage with Mikey Burnup, who we got to meet and talk to about five minutes. Mikey Burnup is awesome. He's that dude. He is that <laughs> dude. Like, he is the guy. Like, if you say, you know, game day weekend, you could spend time with, you know, any personality. I know he's in the booth the game, but Mike just seems like the guy. Who owns it? He was walking around, looked like he owned the place. He's like 70 years old. He looks 55. He looks in great shape. Um, I, I, you gotta love Mike, Mike Burnham, man. You just got to. Yeah, he was tearing it up. We uh we got to talk to him about five minutes. Um got got to tell him that uh his good buddy Wes says hello. So yeah, he was he was excited about that and everything, but uh Love Mikey Burnham, man, and hopefully every – I think now every event, Hokey event I go to, I'm trying to find Mikey Burnham and talk to him for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, – he's one of the guys that you know you can have a beer with and just talk about not just Hokey sports, but just like anything in general. Anything. Like he, He's that guy that's going to have that conversation with you. Yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about another guy you want to share a beer with. Brent Pry gets up on stage and it's it's immediate the energy it, it's a joke. It's on Twitter and in chat he, he gets it and he does get it. This guy gets it. This guy gets. <laughs> he's up there pours himself a beer on stage. You know, just 
you know, been here eight months, brings out his wife to introduce her. Cheers, cheers to the crowd, taking a, uh, a panoramic selfie of the crowd and sending it to recruits. I mean, you know, he, he talked about he knew that this was the space because it, w- it was the fandom. And that was his sell point. And, you know, it didn't feel like a sell point, though. It felt like it was a genuine response from him. And, I mean, he was just having fun up there. Yep. During that interview portion. He was having a good time. He, like I said, he said drinking beer. Um, what I noticed, and I, I, I hate to juxt- juxtapose this with, with uh, Fuente just because, you know, I think we ki- we've kicked the dog enough at this point, but. We have the same. He's the previous guy. It's got to be a comparison. But at the same time, when we look at an event like this, and we had this like Q and A session with Burnup, right? So he's up on stage. He's up there with Burnup. They're talking. But Pry is, I'd say, leading the discussion just as much as Mikey is. It wasn't Mikey directing him where to go, asking him the question, getting the canned answer, moving on, like. Coach Pry was up there to talk and to interact with the crowd. And then also he was going to answer some questions that Mike Burnup had for him. Yep. And you could tell that from, from the jump. I mean, the, the energy was just completely different. Exactly. And and that's what it was. It was, I'm not here to answer questions. I'm here to talk to the fans. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't a I'm just here so I don't get fined situation. This exactly. is very very much a, I, you know I'm here I'm selling the program, I'm selling the program so I can sell the program to recruits. It's it's all cyclical and it all feeds into what we want this As team a, to get to, right? It's true. So, it's true. and I think I think he understands that it, it's it's a multi-prong like being a head coach is a multi-prong thing. It's not just, I've got to be good at managing a game. I've got to be good at understanding X's and O's. It's not just that. It's everything. It's, it's so much else. And I think he understands those, those aspects of it. And he, he did a good job of selling those things to the people that were there. And I think a lot of it, you know, as you said, it's not just selling it. That's just how, that's his personality. He's, yeah. he's a very energetic guy. And you said it too. He seems to understand when he's talking to people, how to talk to people, right? That's it. And and that goes because if you remember what he was talking about, you know, he talked about how he convincing his family that this was the right move. His son's transferred to tech from Penn state since then. But then he talked about his first real job is recruiting the staff. And as we start looking at this staff, you know, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Talking about Joe Rudolph, talking about Tyler Bowen, Stu Holt, Fontel Mines, convincing them. You can see it. And, you you know, you look at those guys and you start hearing them talk. They are a plethora of different personalities. Yeah. And I think that's a bigger sell because I think in general – Top to bottom, do, do do you like the offensive staff better than the defensive staff? How do you feel about the offensive staff? The offensive staff. Oh man, I do like the offensive staff more than the defensive staff, just because as I start looking, not not to knock the defensive staff. Don't get me wrong. Between you know, between JC Marv, 
Cheetah and Prelude, you've got a lot of years of experience. Don't forget Quinn. And Quinn. <laughs> Don't leave out Quinn. I mean, Quinn, you know. Quinn's had some recruiting wins. He Quinn, Quinn's breaking bread, hokey style. Okay, don't don't forget Quinn. We need <laughs> Quinn there. We needed Quinn there Monday night when we were eating those wings and pizza to give us a review of those. Yeah, wings and pizza. But 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 when you look at it, you look at that defensive staff. It's it's. I'm gonna laugh. That's a hokey defensive staff. That's a super bright linebacker coach. That's. I mean, he's basically the same age Bud was when he took over the job. Yep. That is a grinder defensive line coach. Think about Charlie Wilde. Think about some of those guys. That That's our mold, right? That's yep. our mold. But then think about the offensive staff and, you know, especially Joe Rudolph. And I love Dwight Vick because Dwight Vick is looking at Joe Rudolph and he sees J.B. Grimes. And J.B. Grimes was the O-line coach back in the 90s who sort of, when we were powering the ball with Kenny Oxendine and mashing people, he was that guy. Look at him. Look at Bowen. You know, Stu Holt left Louisville and one of his good friends to come to Brent Pry. Yep. It, it's this feel of that's what our defensive staff has always looked like. And it's the, looking at the offensive staff. It's like, it's never looked like this. It's never looked like this. In a, or it hasn't looked like this in a long, long time. No. And, and I think that's, that's the difference is because – from a recruiting standpoint, if you're recruiting a staff, he had a harder sell getting offensive guys to come here than he would defensive guys because he is an established yep. defensive coach. He's one of the yeah. probably five best defensive coordinators in the country as uh-huh. of last year. And, you know, he was saying, all right, I'm a, def- I'm a defensive-minded head coach. Come, come coach defense for me. That's not as hard of a sell as it is. Hey, I'm a first-time head coach in my fifties. That's a defensive specialist. Come coach offense for me. Exactly, and it just shows you how the guy can talk to people because I mean he, he convinced a few guys to come. And I mean, um, I'll say this: I mean, and you know, I know there's other coaches that are like this out there. Uh, Saban, for one, obviously, but you know, Brent Brent doesn't seem like a guy that's in his early fifties. He's got oh, a yeah. lot more fire in the belly than a lot of guys that that are that age um 100 so and, and i tell you something that he really had a fire passion about was talking about virginia recruiting because when he made that statement that if we don't know most about virginia recruits we're not doing it right i mean we hear that we see how we've recruited virginia this year and it looks like you know he's still targeting players from virginia um, you know, the, the whole regional footprint recruits, it's not bullshit. It's, yeah. it is literally, that is his game plan. Cause he feels like if he can win this state and win the outer, that six hour radius and get good players, it's going to be the best case scenario to rebuild the program is what it was. Yeah. And when we look at the, uh, you know, the top 25 players or so in Virginia, um, you know, this cycle, you know, other schools definitely had a head start on us. Um, we're we're making our hay in that, you know, twelve to to twenty two range, twelve mm-hmm. to twenty five range. That's where we're making our hay right now in terms of, um, in terms of recruits. We you know looking forward, we we got to get back in the top ten, and I think some of that starts with 
you know, and he made an emphasis. He's like, we gotta, we gotta get Penn State out of this damn state. We gotta get UNC out of this state. Yes. We we gotta keep more of these Virginia kids home. And, you know, he was, he was a part of doing a lot of that, uh, making that ground up in, yeah. in Virginia. So, I mean, he, he understands what it takes. Um, I'm hoping he can get the job done uh, as we look to the, the, the 24 and the 25 classes coming up the next two years. Uh, but he, he, he knows, he knows the, the, the blueprint. He just, we, we got to see if we can, he can execute it. Right. Absolutely. And something else talking about blueprint and his leadership styles. He talked a little bit about the Bristol retreat, which we, we hit on when it happened about a week after it happened, but something that he said, said in there again, we, we knew that we heard about, he wanted everybody on the same page, the same language, the same thing. So if you walk from Terrell, you know, Bowen's office to, you know, Gavea Winslow's office, they're preaching the same things. That was the first big thing. But the other big thing was this, and I don't know if you caught it, but it, but it turned my ear because of what kind of leader he is. He talked about, he did a lot of the talking. And he said, yep. next year, when we do this, I don't not, I do not want that. I want to hear from everybody because they took everybody, yep. which is crazy. Literally um, everybody. But, but when you hear that in a guy of a leadership position, those guys usually, you know, as long as they take what they hear from everyone under them and start figuring out how to work it, and how to make everybody else successful. Usually those guys are the most successful guys. Yep. If you can drive that culture and you can, you know, have that, that very much top down message where what you hear from the top guys, the same thing that you're hearing from the player personnel guy, or um, even the video guy, or like if the message is the same and the message is consistent, then the behaviors are going to be the same way. And I'm talking about the behaviors of the players. Yep whether that's getting extra work in, whether that's understanding the playbook, understanding what you need to do in certain scenarios, whether that's you know getting an extra workout, um, staying after practice, all those things, th- th- those little things that drive the culture um, add up. And, and getting that consistent messaging and that consistent um, way of things being taught and things being emphasized is going to be important going forward. Because if you don't get the foundation of that right for the culture, then you're going to start seeing cracks. And I think that's that's some of what happened with the previous regime is that there there wasn't a culture, there wasn't a foundation. It was just a collection of ideas that eventually fell apart. Yep, and it, and it's also the thing of what we talked about before. They were there to coach and nothing else. And with this staff, you you kind of see it. They're not there to just coach. They understand. Coaching is the most important part of our job, but it's not the only part of our job. And and I'm not talking about, you know, teaching the young men and, you know, helping them prepare for themselves in life, but understanding you're a part of a larger community. And I think that's what this coaching group gets more than anything. Now, Brian, let's jump over to this because I want to I, I want to I want to get your thoughts first. He talked about NIL. He talked about a lot of things on NIL. Which one? hit you the most listening to him? So I think him being a realist about the NIL situation for Blacksburg was was the thing because I don't think he could have went in there and said, we're going to beat 
the the UNCs and the Miamis and the Clemsons on this NIL thing out the gate. I think that's the goal, but I don't think that's something that um, we're going to get to right away. And 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 he said that he doesn't want NIL to be the reason that a player picks Virginia Tech, and I get that. Um, I think there might be situations where where there would be an exception to that, depending on the player, depending on their caliber, especially for an in-state player. Yeah. But in 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 most terms, I don't want a player to pick Virginia Tech just because they they're giving the largest NIL. I, I but as he said, we must be competitive. We got to be in the ballpark. So if 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 somebody's getting, you know, something from from Pitt, we got to say, all right, here's what we can offer from an NIL perspective, from 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 these collectives here, but we also selling the university as well and and you know when we talk about the reason the player picks something nil definitely is going to be in the discussion but there's got yes. it's going to be a, a piece of the pie right it can't and be the some player piece. some players it's a it, it's a bigger piece and some it's a smaller it can't be half the pie but but it, yeah. it needs to lead, you know we know it's going to be in there somewhere well he said it we've got to be competitive in it and he yeah. said it and, and he and he just straight up called out fans old and young alike and basically said, you've got to support the athletes in some way. And, you know, we saw today with Triumph NIL with Dax, Dwayne, Caleb, who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. Uh, efforting, efforting. Yeah, and I think as you're, as you're speaking on that, I think the big thing that they've been focused on this offseason with NIL is more of, Take care of the guys that are on your roster right now. Yep. Malachi. Um, Malachi got the Malachi. Yeah. With Triumph. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's been the focus um this offseason is is kind of taking care of some of that because there wasn't that type of foundation put in place. It was very much a it seemed like before it was like here are some tools to help you with NIL, but it was very mm-hmm. much a you're on your own in terms of what you are able to do with it. Yep. And now we've got collectives that the school is actively partnering with, and this is helping really, you know, facilitate um, a, a better relationship with those athletes from an NIL perspective. And I'm hoping that we continue to build on that. Um, and Triumph is doing a good job. Um, uh, shout out B Hill and, and, and those guys yep. um, that are, that are a part of that. And, um, I, yeah, we, but we definitely got to keep that moving forward. And, and, and those that have the capacity to, to help with that, you know, that needs to be something that's, that's going out there just like, um, you know, when you're looking at drive for 25 and the Hokie scholarship fund, I mean, you know, if you're not doing it, we're going to get left behind. Very Um, true. Not, not saying that, you know, it's got to be the, the first and foremost thing the most important be, thing, but, but as, as Pro said, we got to be competitive. It gotta if be we're competitive. not, if we're not competitive, we're going to keep falling behind. True. All right. Well, Brian, let's, as we start wrapping up here tonight, we actually got the opportunity. We stood in line. We're fans. You, we, we met the head coach. We, we were there with probably three, four minutes, talk with him, Clinged a little beer with him. And what you said earlier about the recruits you felt with us, because the gentleman before us, he wanted him to send a video to a friend, right? And he got on the video and he did it. With us, we just – 
we just shot the shit with him. And it just felt like a buddy. You know, he claimed the beers with us. We, you know, said three or four things here and there, and he's just having a conversation with us. It, it felt so – it didn't feel like he was trying to do it. He just felt like he looked at us and said, these are a couple – you know, say what we are. We're probably 30-year-old guys out for a night together, have some fun, hokey fans. I'm going to have fun with them. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely understands how to read uh, the, the people that he's interacting with. Um, when, he, when he talks about building relationships, I think being a guy that can read folks quickly and and understand how to approach them, that that's a skill, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a lot of times it's a skill that's very hard to learn. And 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 he's got it. Um, you know whether that translates to to more wins on the recruiting trail for us long term is to be seen. But in terms of just interacting with the fans and being uh, the type of coach that gets the fan base enthusiastic about mm-hmm. what what they're doing. I mean, we we got a winner on that front, so you know we'll we'll see if uh, if we can keep uh, keep the wins coming uh, as as we roll into the season on that it's, front. But it's true. Well, I, I think as we were, I can't remember who I said it to. You give the guy six years. I mean, because we are in a rebuild, we're in a very tumultuous time. You you can't give him three years and expect him to be at nine ten wins a year. If he does it, wonderful. If it doesn't, I'm 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 in for the long haul with this one. Um, but another thing, notice Brian. So you know, we had our moment. We talked with him a couple minutes. We went on. We got our dinner. He was there a good hour. Yeah, he did not have to be there a good after hour. after he finished speaking. After he finished and just talking to people, taking pictures, signing, having a conversation, and just again, that's where we noticed whoever you were is who he was going to adapt to it. I think that's why he's such a good recruiter because he is going to adapt and figure out what's my baseline for you. What's my baseline for you? Yeah. I'm still going to be me, but I'm going to figure out what part of me and you connect the best. And when you have a guy like that, you know, what do you, what'd you always say, Brian, about Fuente? If Fuente would have just had a little personality, he would have got a little more slack. Pry has the personality. And if we win something like six games, maybe if we only win five games, I think some people are going to be saying, yeah, he walked into a shitty situation this year. You know, the recruiting bridges have been burned all over the state, all over the region. This guy's got a rebuild job to do. Yep. Yeah, bridges burned all over the state. Um, roster in shambles. Um, <laughs> it's it's a bad one-two punch, right? You got, you got to rebuild a roster, but you also have to rebuild the relationships that helped you build that roster. So, um, you know, he's doing a good job of laying that foundation that we're talking about, both, both from a culture standpoint and from a relationship standpoint with players, coaches, all the all the folks in the state and mm-hmm. all the folks in the footprint. Um, so I think we're on the right track uh, from that perspective. You know, we'll see long term how the fit is, but I, I think in terms of just you know, who he is as a coach and, and, and that, that side, I think we got a, we got a hit here. We got a big hit here. All right, Brian, anything breaking over the last little while here? Um, I don't see anything, man. I think we're good. All we're right. Well, that, well, let's wrap it. That wraps up this episode of the boundary corner podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler.
Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you are there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Shout out to Conrad, JK, and Walker, three of our listeners we got to meet this week. Appreciate you guys coming out and meeting us. It was really cool. Uh, don't be afraid to message us. You're now officially, uh, you, you put a comment in. Brian will put it up while we're chatting, regardless what it's about. Inner sanctum. Inner sanctum. <laughs> we always let our buddy Jason Long play us in, and he plays us out. Check him on his new website, jasonlongmusic.com, where you can link to all of his music on Apple, Spotify, and his YouTube and Facebook pages. This weekend, he's going to be at the Grandin Farmer's Market down in Roanoke in August 6th at Outer Space out in Floyd County. So check him out there. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okies.